Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 57 of the Adventure Games Podcast. I hope everybody is well. This week I am joined by former lead Telltale developer Mark Darren. Mark Darren was one of the lead developers of, amongst other games, Tales of Monkey Island, Jurassic Park, and the Walking Dead series. So he spoke about those games. Now, as anybody who listens to this podcast knows, I am a big fan of the Telltale games, in particular The Walking Dead. So this interview is particularly exciting for me. And he also has a new game which was just released called Nick Bounty and the Dame with the Blue Chewed Shoe. So he spoke about that as well. So he also spoke a a little bit about what happened when Telltale suddenly closed, how he as an employee found out and the effects on him. And he also spoke a little bit about how Skybound came to save the day to ensure that The Walking Dead finished his story, at least for Clementine, and were able to tell able to finish this fourth and final season so he speaks about that and so without further ado here is a trailer for his new game nick bounty in a day with a bluetooth shoe followed by an interview so please enjoy i had a hard choice in front of me Three wannabe hard-boiled sidekicks ready to have my back in a bad situation. And maybe my front in a good one. I wish I could keep them all, but I knew I had to throw the smaller fish back in the sea. Emily Blackwater was a tough-as-nails ex-cop who doesn't follow the rules and only works alone. You ever tried to put handcuffs on a 1,200-pound tweaked-out fish? Slippery bastards. Zachary Forsyth was one of those unofficial police psychics claimed you could get into the mind of any murderer. Oh, I'm getting some weird vibes from this place already. Walter Walterman. He's old. Like, uh, could have been a busboy at the Last Supper old. Kid, I ain't had to prove anything since your grandpa was in diapers. I was ready to choose my new partner. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Adventure Games podcast. This week, I am joined by none other than Mark Darren. So, Mark, you are working on Nick Bounty 3, and you were a former lead designer at Telltale. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to finding out about your experiences and your games as well, as a both Nick Bounty and Telltale fan. So how are you, Mark? (laughs) I, I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm delighted to to have you on the podcast. Um, as I told you before we recorded, I'd always wanted to, I'd planned on at least trying to speak to someone who is a former Telltale employee. But also <laughs> in this case, um, it, it's great because you've got a new game coming out. And yep. I really enjoyed Nick Bounty 1 and 2, which you made a few years ago. But um uh, we'll talk about those now in due course. But first of all, I was wondering if you could 
introduce yourself and then say what adventure games, what, what are your favorite adventure games that, uh, that you have, either growing up or any modern games that you enjoyed as well? So take it oh, away. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, my name is Mark Darren, as you said, and uh, I'm the creator of Pinhead Games. Uh, I've also worked as a lead writer and designer of Telltale Games for uh, about 14 years before the studio shut down. Uh, let me see. My, I've always loved adventure games. You know, I think the first one that I really fell in love with was had to be Maniac Mansion on the Commodore 64. That's really where I was introduced to uh, to adventure games. I think my, some of my favorites are, are Monkey Island 2 is the one that really kind of got me into it and hooked me. Uh, Curse of Monkey Island, I think, is one of the best Monkey Islands out there. I really enjoy the Tex Murphy games for all their dumbness <laughs> and, and cool uh, futuristic detective stuff. Uh, let's see. Uh, most of the LucasArts games I've loved, mm. you know, uh, all, all the Monkey Islands, Full Throttle, Grim Fandango. These are the, the games that really inspired me to get into creating adventure games. And uh, I really love the the cinematic presentation they have, and that's something I try to bring to my own games as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely succeed with um, with your games, uh, particularly the Telltale games, which I've said on the podcast mm-hmm. that I'm a fan of. That the you know the c- cinematics and the story in those games, you know, it's always been good as far as I'm concerned. You know, I've always been really invested in the characters and the story. Um, but you no, know, so good choices. I mean, you can't really go wrong with LucasArts. I don't think uh, <laughs> most of the games that they made, I think, are pretty good. Although there is one developer who I spoke with, and the interview will be going up in May, who said that he wasn't a fan of Monkey Island Two. Would you believe? Oh no! <laughs> so now he liked all the other games, but it didn't. <laughs> and he gave reasons. So I'll, you know, I'll I'll put it up in in May. Um, and he gave, you know, I think with some good reasons. I didn't agree, but, you know, he, he's not a hater. Um, but he just said <laughs> it didn't work for him. Now, he loved the other LucasArts games and, and that, but, you know, I think most of them are good. And the De- Tex Murphy, yeah, that's that's a game that doesn't come up that often in people's favorite games, but I, I really enjoyed at least the later ones. Um, yeah. I think it's, uh, I, I get confused with the names, Pandora Directive, um, yeah. I believe. Um, yeah. I think the early one, the first one is, I think it was originally supposed to be a driving sim or a flight simulator. That was a bit strange, you know, flight simulator and action and <laughs> narrative as well. But they they really improved afterwards. Right. And uh, then yeah, of course that first the, one was, the yeah, first was, one was really really interesting. You know, it was it was something brand new that that I'd never seen before with that mix of kind of flight sim, uh, what Mean Streets I think it was called. Yes. Uh, and then, concept? yeah, they totally changed to the the FMV style, which was which was also something kind of new and groundbreaking at the time. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's one of the I think we can probably safely say few FMV adventure games that was good, <laughs> <laughs> or at least it has good acting. Oh, you know, it's cheesy, but I think yeah. it's intentionally so. That they, it is they, definitely they, intentionally so. They lean that, into that cheese. Exactly. I think they know that they're in on the joke, but. Um, um, but I read the books as well, which I really enjoyed from Aaron Connors. Oh, great. Uh, definitely recommend them as well. So, uh, well, I think we can see in the games as well your influences, but then your games also have um, 
you know, their own identity as well. It's not like they're ripping off, you know, LucasArts or anything. Um, but now we're here mainly to talk about uh, Nick Bounty 3. So uh, we'll talk about that more later. But can you give us a preview of what we can expect to hear about this game? So try to say the elevator pitch for <laughs> for this game. Well, it's uh, called Nick Bounty and the Dame with the Blue Chewed Shoe. Uh, and it's taking everything from the original Nick Bounty games, which were developed in Flash, and really kind of a a, a LucasArts ripoff. Uh, you know, it was, it was paying homage to that. But the new game takes all of that and everything that I learned from working at Telltale with the cinematic presentation and and bringing it into the a 3D world. And I really want to bring that humor and that love letter to old-fashioned detective movies and bring it together in an interactive experience. Uh, in this case, Nick Bounty finds a uh, a woman who has been murdered and found half buried in a children's uh, playground sandbox, and he takes on this case, uh, trying to prove himself as a real detective. Um, and one of the key features in this game is you get to hire your own sidekick. There's three different characters that you can hire as a sidekick, and you get to choose who you like, and then you go throughout the rest of the case with this sidekick, uncovering clues and analyzing evidence until you finally uh get to get your chance to take down the bad guy interesting so trying to allow some some new customization options in there to, to kind of tailor your story to a certain degree and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make a story that has a, a whole bunch of multiple different endings but i do want your your choices to kind of uh, craft your 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 experience as you're going through it. I want it to be a little bit altered to your, your tastes. So that's why I let you choose from three wildly different uh, characters as your sidekicks. Cool. Yeah. I remember from the trailer actually that, and I didn't, I was thinking, is it possible to choose? I thought, Oh, maybe they're just like in the story, but no, so you can, you can choose like one or three sidekicks and they will be with you then throughout the game. Yes. Well, wow, that's so. Then that would add maybe some replayability. Then I imagine so you can go back and play as the other sidekicks, and you get some. You get some different lines of dialogue, depending on the sidekicks. Yeah, totally. There's there's some different gameplay. There's some different lines of dialogue. Uh, like I said, it's not changing the main story, but it is kind of sure. giving you a unique experience with uh, with whichever partner you choose, and and you get to kind of uncover who they are and what their agenda is. Cool. No, that sounds. I mean, I was already interested in the game, but now I'm really intrigued. <laughs> uh, it sounds. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm hoping it adds a little bit of replayability to it. Just you know, just just for fun. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I. I mean. I. I know it sounds. Uh, it sounds similar, maybe to I don't know Bioware games, or I don't know if you played the game Unavowed by Dave Gilbert. I mean, I know it's not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But were any of those um, inspirations by any chance, or is this something that you just wanted to do yourself? Uh, a, a little bit of all of that. You know, uh, Dave, Dave Gilbert's stuff has always been influential to me. Uh, I, I think his, his games are phenomenal. And um, I haven't played... Uh, oh, I forget what we were talking about. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Unavowed? You haven't played his latest game, have you? Unavowed? I, I, I have played a little bit of that, so I understand kind of the where you're, you're kind of choosing your 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 team up and your characters you want to go. I haven't I haven't finished on about it. I've only kind of scratched the surface of it, but it's also something that you know I got from from the Telltale Games is trying to craft True. the relationships of who are the people that you want to have near you, and then 
creating, uh, you know, manipulated the narrative around that to adapt to what you want to have as an experience as a player. True. Yeah, no, well, we can certainly talk about that now very shortly, uh, because I think that was one of the successes, I think, of, of Telltale, that uh, after The Walking Dead, there were so many adventure games where you had to you had choice. <laughs> right, right. Um, but uh, no, we'll talk about Nick Bounty 3 uh, just a little bit later. That's a preview of what to expect. Um, but... Uh, so you then you mentioned that you worked for Telltale from the beginning. So you're one of the first people. Were you one of the first people to to start working with Telltale when when they were formed? I came to Telltale about a year after they formed. They had put out, I think, the two Bone games and one CSI game uh, before I had gotten there. I don't think they had started releasing the Sam and Max games yet. Uh, so I got there right then, at the very, very early days. The cool. first game I worked on was CSI <laughs> Hard Evidence. And I was a big fan of the CSI show at that time, so it was, oh, like, me it was too. an honor to, to work on that game. <laughs> I think I remember the game. I, I played the the previous CSI games. I, I remember, I can't remember the names now. Then I played the Telltale CSI game. And at first mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is kind of a strange mix. Uh, you know, Telltale, who made... Bone, you know, this cartoony looking game, and then CSI, this kind of very <laughs> graphic. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but it, you know, I remember I enjoyed it, and um, and so was that the first game that so that was the first game that you you worked on then. And did you did you learn anything then on CSI that you took forward on the other games that you worked on? Was there oh, anything particular or um, <laughs> or in I mean, general, it was. A, it was a, I think it was more general because it was a real it was a, a learning experience having that been my first kind of professional game to work on just le- understanding um, how to how to write for uh, intellectual properties uh, um, kind of learning how to code the the investigation aspects of it uh, learning how to use a telltale tool so it was a, it was kind of a general learning experience um, it's hard right. to say. I think the, the thing I learned the most and was able to carry over to and future games was just uh, getting comfortable with character writing with, within kind of both a linear and a nonlinear version of storytelling, which then I was able to carry that over into future games. That's probably the, what I got most from CSI. Right. Um, no, I, I remember that. I think I played all the CSI games. Um, oh wow! As well, so <laughs> I was a big fan back in the day. Now I haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> the series, but um, no, but I remember, you know, the uh, you know enjoying the the stories as well. With and the, am I correct in saying that uh, did you have the same actors from the TV series in in that game, or did you have different actors? It was a mix. Some of the actors had signed on to uh, do their voices, and some of them were sound alike. Okay. Um, did you get to meet the, the actors from the TV show who appeared then? Or uh, at that time, no, I, I, I wasn't um, I wasn't senior enough to be <laughs> in the recording studios with them. I was just happy to get feedback from them about their characters and, and hear them reading the lines that I had written. But later on, I was able to to, to meet some of the the voice cast and some of the the voice actors we've worked with over the years to become some really good friends of mine. But those guys I didn't get to meet. 
Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, I, don't, I was going to ask you this after, but I can ask you now. You mentioned that you learned how to write for intellectual property in a telltale. Uh, I believe most of the games were intellectual properties, but uh, mm-hmm. so uh, how, how did you, so did, um, I forget to the studio, studio or Ubisoft, maybe I think who were the publishers, I think. Now, you know more more than me, but did you did you have much freedom to to write the stories for, for CSI and then, well, I can ask for later on, but I'll ask you then later on for, you know, The Walking Dead as well. But for CSI, did you have much, much freedom or were you told that you have to write this way or this particular way for these characters, these particular stories? Uh, it was it was pretty well open. We um, for the earlier CSI games, the there were some uh, um, writers that were already pegged to write the majority of the of the stories and the cases. Uh, so we had external writers doing that, and then we would come in and, and edit the scripts and punch them up and and put in new dialogue where uh, where it needed to fit for gameplay. But then in in later episodes or. Uh, later versions of the CSI games, we were kind of given more complete freedom to write it ourselves, and uh, we they were really pretty open. There was there was a, a, a CSI bible that kind of gave us the the character descriptions and what their motivations were, and we just you know were asked to watch the show a lot and get familiar with the characters and understand how they speak. And so they did give us a lot of freedom to kind of write the way we wanted to write, but they would have you know final say over the edit of the scripts. Okay, that, that must have been terrible for you to be asked to watch the show, <laughs> to be asked to watch CSI, <laughs> all of the episodes, you know, as your work. I mean, I'm sure you had to, you know, it was work because you'd take notes, I'm sure, but um, it must be pretty cool. So, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll watch CSI. <laughs> I'll watch oh, I liked the... it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I must watch it again, actually, but <laughs> uh, because then once I had like CSI Miami and New York, and I was like, at first right. I was like, oh, I have to watch all of these. But then I just, you know, I went to college then and I never had time and I haven't gone back. So, um, but yeah, that was CSI hard evidence that uh, you worked on. And then you, you work, if I correct, you were one of the co-designers on, now you've worked, you've made the different, you worked on Salmon Max, did you? Was it a Salmon Max game? I see that. Well, I'm checking your Wikipedia page because you actually have a Wikipedia page. That's a big deal by yeah. itself for me. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of weird. It means you made it. You made, <laughs> no matter what yeah. you do, have a Wikipedia page, you made it. <laughs> and I see it's it all positive cool. here. There's, there's no scandals or anything. So <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Uh, yeah, there's still no, time, I, I'm sure. <laughs> I definitely did work on on Sam and Max. Uh, on the Sam and Max games, mostly what I was responsible for were like the the mini games that appeared within the game. I, I, on those games, I wasn't a writer so much, but I was a, a programmer and designer of some of the mini games. If you remember Boxing Betty, when you would go and you were a rat or you were a, a little boxing doll, and you had to box the mafia rats to get information out of them, I, I yes, designed I and programmed that. There was a, a surfboard game where Sam had to ride on a surfboard and balance baby bottles on a tray on his head without knocking them off. Uh, so those those type of little games within the games were the ones that I was responsible for. Okay. So again, you're getting more experience then and working on, I imagine working on Sam and Max must have been great because back at that time, 
it seemed like the adventure game genre was dead, especially after LucasArts cancelled Sam and Max in yep. 2003, I believe. So I remember right. there was big celebrations. Well, celebrations in forums, at least. The Telltale had got the rights to Sam and Max, and then the game turned out to be good. <laughs> that, uh, That's great. That they, you know, it's like, because there, you know, there was, you know, pressure, maybe, I don't know what I can ask you this about, because you worked on Tales of Monkey Island as well, you, I believe. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, that, that was especially, when I first saw that announcement, you know, I literally jumped with joy. <laughs> I mean, I love, <laughs> I love Sam and Max, you know, I, I enjoy Sam and Max hit the road, and I was devastated when Freelance Police was cancelled by LucasArts, and... You know, like, because my world was literally imploding then. But then when Telltale mm-hmm. Sam and Max, I was delighted. And then it was a second season and a third season and the games were good. <laughs> and then Tales of Monkey Island, I was like, wow. So uh, I was wondering if you can cast your mind back then. Were you involved with uh, any of the negotiations in getting the rights to either of those games or Monkey Island? Or did you speak with, uh, I don't know, was it with LucasArts, I imagine, or... You know, were you involved at all in the process of getting, or were you just involved afterwards? But just I, I was involved afterwards. I, I wasn't involved okay. in, in the getting of it. So I was, uh, I was in a, um, you know, a one-on-one meeting with with uh, Dave Grossman at the time, who was working at uh, Telltale, and he was the uh, director of the design department. And he told me that they got the Monkey Island uh, uh, franchise, and that he wanted me to be one of the lead designers on that. And I was ecstatic. I was I was nervous. I'm like I can't do that. I can't be a lead designer on Monkey Island. Are you crazy? Uh, but he believed in me. He threw me into the deep end and said, "Just go at it. You'll, you'll be fine." And it was it was so much fun. And they, we got uh, we brought Mike Stanley into the studio at that time, who had worked on uh, Escape from Monkey Island, and he is just a brilliantly minded guy. And he's so funny and bringing he got to be one of the co-designers as well. And then. So us working together, just trying to bring new life to to Monkey Island, trying to trying to bring back elements of like Curse and Monkey Island Two and Secret of Monkey Island, and to kind of learn from the mistakes of Escape from Monkey Island and how that translated to 3D, and trying to overcome you know those challenges and bring something new to it. It was all it was all super ex- exciting. I, I can yeah, I, I could imagine that. Just one day you're told, yeah, you're going to be one of the lead designers of probably the <laughs> most loved adventure game series of all time. <laughs> so no <Yeah>. pressure. <laughs> um, but th- did you feel at first, I mean, you mentioned that at first you, you were thinking, God, I can't you know, do this. Now you did. You did it well. <laughs> uh, at least in my opinion, Tales of Monkey Island ter- turned out rather well. It, But did you feel any extra pressure because you were a fan of the game's before or um you know how, how did or did you just think okay i've got to write these games make these games and just forget about the outside world um so how, how was it at first you know when you started working on tales of monkey island it was it was definitely daunting you know i wasn't sure <laughs> if i was gonna be able to, to live up to it but you know i had i had like i said there dave grossman was involved in it and he was involved in the original monkey island so how yes. much better can you get than that uh, Ron Gilbert came in, and, and we got to talk with Ron Gilbert about you know, his ideas about Monkey Island, and that just sort of legitimized it all for me, right? But Ron Gilbert is is, I mean, how crazy is it? I was driving around Ron Gilbert in my car, 
<laughs> talking about Monkey Island, and that was that, that was that was just inconceivable for a thing. My my 15 year old self would not have believed that I would ever be driving around Ron Gilbert and Dave Gross in my car talking about making the next Monkey Island game. Right. Yeah. But so having I'm... those guys behind me, you know that that was everything. Knowing that they were behind me and they know what the hell they're talking about. So if if they're there to support me. And then we can all do this together. Then that that made it a lot easier to keep marching forward. Sure, yeah, I can imagine it must have been surreal. First of all, you're working with uh, Dave Grossman, and then Ron Gilbert comes in, and as you mentioned, you're driving them <laughs> around uh, two of the original creators of Monkey Island. And yeah, did, did Ron Gilbert reveal to you the secret of Monkey Island? What his ideas were, or did he keep did he keep shun? Did he keep quiet? <laughs> Absolutely not. He did not reveal <laughs> the secret of Monkey Island. He kept uh, quiet about that. And, like, and, but I will help you make the game that you want to make, and uh, you know, bring my ideas to it. But it's, it's not what Monkey Island Three would have been if he had the chance to make it. He's not revealing that until he gets to make it himself. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose you know, Dan, you have to just make the game that you ha- you want to make, rather than thinking about what does Ron want, what do the fans want, what does you know, just probably think, okay, what game do I want to make, and how can I yeah. make this game as best as I can. Um, but yeah. So uh, now, d- did you offer to take Ron Gilbert out for for a few drinks and maybe have him <laughs> reveal it? <laughs> I'm sure some people might be tempted if he ever comes to ireland <laughs> if he ever has but <laughs> no um yeah we no, tried we tried ah uh, no but he's very he's very careful <laughs> uh no but that that sounds great because you mentioned that you want to make it different and i think one of the successes of tales of monkey island is it is monkey island you can clearly see it is we have guybrush we have lechuck and we have you know it feels familiar but then there were it, it felt different at the same time. There were different things that, that you did, you know, in each episode as well. There was a, I believe, was there a court scene in mm-hmm. what, in episode four, I think, which I thought, oh, wow, now they're making Law and Order meet Monkey Island, <laughs> which, is, which is great. <laughs> and then there, was, there were new characters as well. Was there a new, yeah. new pirates that uh, you included? I, I can't yeah, remember her name. There was Morgan the Flay, yes, who was the that, main one. Yes, and no, but it was great. Then it was, you know, 3D as well. He's a Telltale tool. And no, I was I was delighted. And you got Dominic Armato back to be Guy Rashid, yeah. which which must have been great as well. But um, and then it he was one, great to work with. Oh, that, that's great. He seems like a really cool guy. He's a really nice guy. It's crazy. He's really cool. And then. Um, I'm just reading here as well that uh, not only you know did you get to make Tales of Monkey Island, but it won a few awards as well, I believe. Um, again, according to Wikipedia, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know we shouldn't fully trust <laughs> Wikipedia, but Monkey Island, Tales of Monkey Island won Best Artistic Design and won the award for Biggest Surprise. I don't know what, surpri- what the surprise was, but uh, I, I suppose what, what's the surprise maybe that the game was announced or that it was good? Yeah, it- <laughs> It was announced at, I forget where, I think it was at a PAX, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was announced and available the same day it was announced, and that was a big surprise. Oh, yeah. 
sure. Okay. Yeah, that make, makes sense. Because I thought, you know, it, is, is this one of those awards which is kind of like, oh, big surprise. It's like, surprise, it's actually good. It's like, <laughs> 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 I mean, I, I believe it would be good from the beginning. It's, it was Telltale after all. <laughs> um, and then it won IGN Best Ga- Adventure Game of the Year for PC and Wii. I wasn't, didn't yeah. know it was available for Wii. And then Adventure oh, Game. Yes. So what? And then Adventure Game was had Best Adventure Game of 2009, and it was Best Series Revival by OC Weekly. So that's just some of the awards that that it won. Uh, what were you involved in the port to Wii then as well? Uh, we were. It was the development of it was in one skew. So it was everything we knew we were going to make it for the Wii. So we had to. Um, that really constrained kind of a lot of what we were doing with Tales of Monkey Island. It it uh, it set the the parameters for what we were able to do with the visuals um it, it, it was really challenging working on it uh, for the wii and pc and other releases at the same time uh one of the biggest issues that we came up with was it was going to be available for WiiWare, which is their you know their downloadable system uh, or, or platform uh but the limitations for WiiWare were your game had to be compressed to 40 megabytes that was it. 40 megabytes that... for the entire episode of, uh, of, each, of the game, each episode. So that, that meant we had to really pay attention to what how our, our texture levels, what kind of graphics we could put on the screen, what our, our music compression is, is like, and, and everything. Uh, so that was, that was one of the weird constraints that we had to work with. Um, which made it a real challenge. In in fact, there's a one of the behind the scenes stories is we had this uh, in episode one. There was a club called Club Forty One, I believe, and it was called that because the inside of that club would have been the forty first megabyte that we couldn't actually fit into the game. So that's why you could never get into the club in that first episode because <laughs> it didn't fit. The Club wow. 41 didn't fit into there. We had a couple of... That's what... You saw Guybrush go in and then get kicked out the front door, but you never saw the inside of the club until later episodes down the line when we had to scrap one environment and add that one in. So that, that's the story of that. Well, I think I remember, actually. I mean, it was, what is it, over 10 years ago now that I, I played yeah. it, but I do remember watching Guybrush just be, <laughs> be kicked out again and again. <laughs> <laughs> One of our original plans was to go inside and just have it be pitch black so you couldn't see anything. Um, but that that violated some some uh, rules of graphics on screen. You had, players had to be able to see something to know that the game wasn't broken. So right. You, you couldn't do just pitch black. I mean, you could have done it as a joke, maybe. <laughs> it might have worked being Monkey Island. But, uh... Well, that was the idea, was to do it as a joke. Well, sure, but, uh, yeah. It, but it didn't. It wouldn't pass uh, the certification for for consoles and and, and gaming. Right. So we couldn't so. do it. <laughs> okay, but I think it still worked. You know, worked out with Guybrush just being kicked out again and again. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was it like then writing for Guybrush Threepwood? Because Guybrush Threepwood is probably the most recognizable adventure game character. You know, one of the most referenced and all as well. So when you're writing dialogues and scenes and stories for Guybrush Threepwood, uh, you know, how, how did you get? How did you go go about it then? Was there anything in particular that you 
had in mind when you were writing for him? Or again, did you just think, okay, no, this is just a character that we have to write for? Sort of that question um, makes any sense. <laughs> um, you know, I played a lot of Monkey Island. It was it was my favorite game of my youth. So I I, I had a voice for Guybrush in my head, and then Dominic gave him an actual voice. Um, so it was all kind of already there, and we just for the new game we wanted to really bring in more focus on the character relationships and to bring some more drama and to bring some more emotion to it. So it was kind of taking just the silly quips from Guybrush from before and and getting past his, I want to be a pirate and now being a pirate and trying to figure out what does he want now and trying to understand what that motivation is. And then, you know, uh, it was just a combination of myself and Dave Grossman and Mike Stanley trying to find the right characters and having us each edit each other's work to bring, to bring Guybrush kind of, centralize him to who he is so it was it was challenging to some degree but it, it was also kind of already there because Guybrush was already a part of you so much that it was it wasn't too tough to to write to write for that character right and as you mentioned it helped that you had Dave Grossman and Mike Stemley who had worked on previous Monkey Island games so exactly um yeah, and then the final question about Monkey Island, we will move on. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, you mentioned with Dominic Armato, did um, did you guys need to direct him? Or did he just, like, direct himself? Like, did he know the character himself? Or how was it working with him? Oh, he is wonderful. He he really mostly directed himself. <laughs> you know, we were there, in the, I was there directing in, in the booth, and, and uh, you know, some of the lines um, we had him improvise on to kind of, kind of riff on some of the lines we'd already done but he knew that character so well so if when he, he would direct himself but if there was just if it wasn't coming across quite right we just kind of tell him what the motivation was and he can flip it right over and understood exactly what it needed to, to come out of Guybrush and he was perfect he was so easy to work with and so fast at recording he just he knew he knew how to be Guybrush he I- fell right back into the role instantly I can imagine, you know, no, what I would, what I would give, to, what I wouldn't give to just to be there myself to, uh, to see that. But no, that's um, no, that's so. I mean, congratulations on that because first of all, you know, getting the chance to work on Tales of Monkey Island, as you mentioned, it was daunting, and you know, you mentioned as well that there was, you know, because it's it's easy kind of not to fail, but it's you know, there's so, there was a lot of pressure from fans as well, but you guys succeeded, so I think. That's you know it really says a lot for you know the the, the talent of the people at Telltale um, at the time. So and thank you for that as well for bringing back to a much loved series like Sam and Max and Monkey Island. Uh, so thank you for that as well <laughs> on on behalf of the adventure game community. <laughs> no, I'm oh. not that arrogant. <laughs> well, thank, um, thank you for enjoying it and playing it. It was it was really special to be a part of that. Yeah, no, no, genuinely that I told I even told friends of mine who were not game players or adventure game players that oh my god monkey island is coming back and even they went what monkey island <laughs> <laughs> and they knew about the game so um now oh, you one, have one more yep. thing about one oh, more sure, thing about dominic I, I know it's kind of out of place but, but one of the things about dominic and kind of falling right back into monkey island is at the same time that we were doing tales of monkey island lucasarch was doing their special editions of monkey island one and two which they brought him back for so he had all these Monkey Island uh, 
knowledge kind of going through his head all at the same time. He was he was revoicing Monkey Island One and Monkey Island Two and Tales of Monkey Island kind of all in the same uh, time frame. So he 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 that's how he kind of embodied it all. And, and it's not a surprise that he was so good at getting back into the character of Guybrush, having done all of that. Right, and I'm sure he loved it. I'm sure he he enjoyed it as well, going back to that character and mm-hmm. you know that. That, that dialogue as well, that writing. <laughs> um, no, but that that is that is great. Um, we you know if uh, you know. I mean, I I don't know if it will ever happen, but I know people keep asking for another Monkey Island, even what twenty thirty years after the original. <laughs> so, but we've got uh, some great games uh, coming up anyway. And then afterwards, you worked on a lot of games. So one of them being Jurassic Park, the game mm-hmm. as well. You worked. On, on that, and then The Walking Dead as well. So, yeah, maybe actually uh, Jurassic Park, the game, because from what I could see, you know, Jurassic Park, the game, was very different to yep. previous Telltale games. And then following on from Jurassic Park, the game, then te- The Walking Dead came along. And, you know, it, it, it seems like you nearly perfected, uh, <laughs> you know, what you wanted with The Walking Dead as well and now i always thought that we would not have had the walking dead the way it was without jurassic park the game would that you know would i be correct in saying that did you or or is that did you you know take that from jurassic park and then put it into walking dead or um, no you're you're absolutely right you're absolutely right uh some of the things we did in jurassic park uh one of the one of the big design objectives for jurassic park was to make it an iOS compatible game. And part of that was uh, to try to find a way to have an interactive story game where you're not directly controlling the character. That was one of the mandates uh, of, of the design project, was to not directly walk around your project because we were trying to make a game that you would hold on a tablet and, and tap through it and not put on an on-screen joystick and all those things that get in the way. And with that, we knew we wanted to focus really on the choices you make and the relationships that you make and make it a really kind of relationship-based um, game and tell the story that way. And so the things we learned on Jurassic Park about how to make your story more central than uh, walking the character around uh, and kind of pulling back a little bit on the, the the puzzling aspects of it and really focus on the narratives and the choices and the dialogues. When we brought that over to uh, to Walking Dead, it was really uh, Sean Vanneman and Jake Rodkin who were kind of the, the lead creative uh, vision holders of The Walking Dead, and they their focus was to make this a game that is about choices. That's, that's what the game is about. It's not... A, about puzzle solving is not about uh, killing zombies. It's about making choices and forming relationships, and that really became central. And honestly, it took me a while to really understand that as a gameplay aspect. Is I had been working on mechanics and uh, uh, different types of interactivity and puzzling, and after kind of the lukewarm reception of Jurassic Park. I, I thought they were crazy to not put in more of that uh, kind of puzzling stuff and, and what the player is doing. But they really understood that what this was going to be about was human relationships and the choices you make and how those affect those human relationships. 
I was probably, you know, the, the first episode was redone a few times because, you know, it went through different prototype phases and it went through different iterations to try to really hone that feeling and understand what it was that we were doing and trying to make choices and then calling you out on your choices and, and having repercussions for your choices. Uh, and I didn't really get that in, until uh, really late in the development of episode one. Um, uh, if, if you look at episode two, that, uh, that start for help, there is a lot of kind of puzzly aspects to it uh, that I was still trying to put in. And a, and a lot of them were actually cut from the game for the better. Um, especially at that dinner table scene mm-hmm. uh, where everybody's sitting around. I had designed an entire sequence where you were, uh, there was a prayer going on. Everyone had their eyes closed and you were trying to do things to distract uh, the people at the table so that you could take the meat away from Clementine. And it was just this really long drawn out, you like knocking over the water and uh, unscrewing the salt cap so that it, all the salt will come out. And it really didn't fit the tone at all. Uh, I thought I was making cute cute puzzles that you could do and just kind of set up a chain reaction, but it didn't fit the tone at all. And so all of that stuff was scrapped uh, for the better, and it really just came down to what, is, what are the people feeling and how do we lead into that? Right. Yeah, now it's... Uh, I think if that kind of makes sense because I think... It's probably a good thing that in The Walking Dead that, you know, what I think, because I know that, you know, some people, they, they say, now, I don't agree necessarily with this, but they say, oh, they're interactive movies, there's no puzzles, but what I'd say is, okay, that's, you know, a point, but I think the puzzles, as you mentioned, were the choices that you mm-hmm. made for the characters, that it's not just an interactive movie where you're click mindlessly clicking, uh, we know what happens next, it's that you have to as you say, formed relationships. How do you respond? What do you choose to do? And so for me, that's why it, like I was always concentrating on the on the game. You see, you know, what would I do? What would happen next? But right. um, but about Jurassic Park, one thing that I found interesting that you mentioned that you didn't control the character, and I found it interesting in the game um, because you it felt like I was a director <laughs> of, yeah, of the game. I, I think it would have worked better uh for for better or worse if we had leaned into that if we were kind of like mm. you were making the movie but we, but i think that's part of why the game didn't really find its identity it was trying to do a couple of different things that didn't really necessarily mesh together perfectly well but uh i really in making that game i had a lot of ideas uh for mm. for Tops to make another game where you were kind of a, a movie director we had some some prototypes and plans for for a game that never came through, but uh, I mean, I, I thought that was a really cool thing to be able to choose your cameras and and be a director yes. and, and build build that. But uh, yeah, it was it was that was one of the things we were trying out, and it, it didn't work well for that game, unfortunately. But it was an interesting idea. Yeah, I think at the very least it is an interesting concept. And yeah, I think I think there are some things that are really good about the game. I think. Uh, whatever else you can say, I thought the graphics were were good. The story, it's you know, it felt like you were in Jurassic Park. You know, felt like you were in, sorry, the movie. It didn't, I didn't feel like oh, this is this is like a fan game. Thought, no, this is a you know, in the movie, or it felt what would have happened. So mm-hmm. um, and then at least you know, it, as you mentioned, it was 
you know, the interesting concept using the cameras as well. So it would have been interesting to see how you'd have taken it. But you went to another director, talked to went to another direction, which was, I think it was kind of the right direction. It kind of worked. <laughs> it worked, shall we say. Um, because then with The Walking Dead season one, you mentioned about want to focus on the choices. Because, yeah, some one of the, I suppose, things that people said about Jurassic Park, oh, there was, you know, you know, the puzzle. Now, I thought there were some puzzles from what I remember in Jurassic Park. But now... You mentioned that Jake and Sean, that they just focused on the choices and relationships and there weren't as many puzzles, which ultimately, right. I think, worked for The Walking Dead. Um, and then you mentioned you wrote episode two. Now, I'm not saying this because you're here, but I mentioned this to you uh, before the recording. It is, for me, without doubt, the creepiest episode <laughs> of The Walking Dead and probably my favorite. And again, I'm not saying this just because you're here. I need to stress that. But it I mean, just the whole atmosphere of the whole episode when you, you know, you get it, you know, there that. Uh, so, so I suppose, you know, did, did you did, did you work with the others with Jake and Sean? How closely did you work with Jake and Sean on this episode? Did you did they give you free reign or did they give you any ideas? So what was it like? you know, pitching ideas for that story and then <laughs> you know, how far you went. <laughs> Uh, I worked with them very, very closely. They worked very, very, very hands-on on all the episodes, and, and they get they should get a lot of credit. Uh, I did write the episode, but they had uh, kind of outlined some of the big beats of the episode before it it came to me. I was I was still working on I forget what project I was working on before for Walking Dead. Uh, Might have been Puzzle Agent. Anyway, uh, I was still working on, on that, and they had they had outlined the season, so they kind of had the big beats in place. Um, so that got handed to me, and I was then I, it was up to me to take the individual scenes and and build them out and flesh them out and decide what's happening in the scenes and how how the player is moving through the scenes, both physically, both with interaction and both and emotionally, and trying to translate that into what's coming out of the screen. And it wasn't it wasn't just me writing. I was the lead writer, but we also had uh, you know Sean did some writing on it as well. Uh, there was uh, a guy named Andy Hartzell who did some writing on there, and uh, a couple other people. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't just me, but I did the majority of the writing. I was sort of the lead writer on the episode who kind of set the parameters for how each scene should play out and and what's happening specifically. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of collaboration, a lot of hands-on with the with the creative leads. Sure, yeah, because this episode had everything. It had humor, you know, the interactions with Lee and Clementine, and then mm-hmm. Lee and and Kenny. <laughs> when when what was I think was it that episode when uh, Kenny says to Lee, was it something like, "Oh, can you break into this place?" <laughs> and Lee said, "Are you actually saying what I think you're saying?" And then. Well, Kenny says, oh, "I'm from Florida, man. Don't don't judge me on this." Now, I, I didn't know much, you know, about you know American culture at that point, but I still thought it was hilarious, and it just yeah. felt so natural that, yeah. you know, and it, it felt like these two were, um, you know, were, were pals from a long time ago, and and then I had jump scares, and you know, or at least one on the fence I remember, but then you were waiting for it, it didn't happen, and then you begin to relax, and then. <laughs> And right. so I, th- I thought that worked really well. And then, I, th- I mean, I think we can, I mean, not we won't give spoilers, but I think it's been out a long time. Just that scene as well, as you mentioned, the dinner table with, uh, you know, eating the meat and uh, with Clementine as well. That's where, because I, I was actually thinking that 
So it wasn't really, for me, it wasn't a twist, but it's still a revelation because I was still thinking, no, they're hardly going to, but like, <laughs> is it really? And uh, But it just, all of that worked really, really well, I think. Um, so, and then did you, did you work with Robert Kirkman at all? Or do you know Jake and Sean worked with Robert Kirkman on the whole season? Or did you have more free reign on on writing the story yourselves and the characters? Uh, we definitely worked with Robert Kirkman, especially uh, Jake and Sean. They, they were in communication with him at all times. And he looked at and approved all the scripts that were written. Uh, that's for the all, all the series from, from season one all the way to season four. Um, we were getting feedback from from Robert Kirkman, um, but especially in that first season, they you know they worked closely with him to kind of understand what 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 he wanted to see in a video game, and you know it wasn't running around shooting zombies. It was it was um, seeing the people having real emotions and having real connections, and and so they they talked a lot with him. I, I spoke with him a, a little bit. You know, I was in some meetings with him when we talked about. Where, where the series is going to go and what, what how it's progressing um so yeah there was a lot of back and forth with with the, the team and robert kirkman cool yeah he seems at least from when i've seen him give interviews he seems like a cool guy as well um you know at least my impression of him when when i saw interviews with him and he's uh, when i read the, the comics the walking dead comics because one of the things that was cool about the game season one was when you're in herschel's farm Mm-hmm. Um, that now I actually I hadn't read the comics or seen the TV series, so the game season one Telltale's game was my introduction to The Walking Dead, but I never felt, you know, left out. I never felt like oh I need to read the comics or watch a TV series to understand. Now the game right. made me want to read the comics and watch the TV series, which I ultimately did. Oh, but nice. I never I I never felt left out. I never felt. Oh, I don't understand what's going on because it, I think that's one of the issues with a lot of, you know, other intellectual properties that you're like, oh wait, that doesn't really make sense until you read the source material. But right. I think that's another one of the successes of um, The Walking Dead. So, and then at the at the end as well, when it all comes together, you know, the choices that you made uh, throughout the series, which I think, and also you mentioned as well with Jurassic Park and. The Walking Dead, it wasn't really about the dinosaurs and the zombies or walkers, as cool as they are, but it was about the characters, you know, the people there and how right. they survive. So, um, yeah, there weren't really questions. <laughs> uh, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> you were working on The Walking Dead season four. Um, you know, you mentioned before the recording. And now, again, I don't know how much you can talk about, how much detail you can, so I'll leave it up to you. But halfway through the development of The Walking Dead Season 4, as I'm sure a lot of people are aware, Telltale just suddenly collapsed, you know, just went went bankrupt. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I told you before as well that people online were saying, well, what about Clementine? What about... The Walking Dead, you know, we want to finish this game. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. what about the employees? <laughs> you don't have a job. <laughs> that, should, that should be the first thing. So um, I just, I'm just curious. I'm sure people listening are curious as well. And again, what what can you tell us about that last day, if anything at all? You know, that was it a shock for you guys? Was there anything leading up to it? Or is there anything at all that you can tell us about basically what happened? 
You know, there's there's only so much I can say. There, it, oh, it was yeah. a shock. It was a shock to us. I mean, most I think most people in the company knew that uh, you know sales on titles after The Walking Dead were were struggling, and and our our projections for for making money on those products weren't weren't what they were hoped to be. So we knew that there was some struggle, and that we had to make some changes. And I think that was part of what was going on with the upper management in the company. We were trying to restructure and figure out how, how they can recover. Um, but we didn't realize how bad it was, I guess, until the day that the new CEO called us all into a to a meeting on, I, I think it was a Monday morning, and said, well, I'm sorry, everybody, but this, this is it. Um, we've lost our funding, and we're shutting down uh, effective immediately. And that was it. That was that was all we got. I mean, uh, that it must it have been a huge shock because, as I mentioned as well, I think before recording, it wasn't your fault. It wasn't uh, that the games were bad because you guys right. were doing your job well. You know, you had Guardians of the Galaxy and you had the Batman series, which um, you know were were good. But um, now, I, I suppose you know one question that I have is after the Walking Dead season one, uh, a lot of you know, Telltale games, at least gameplay-wise, were, you know, very similar, I guess. Right. Um, was, was that management... And again, if you can't answer this, don't worry. But uh, were you guys told that you had to make the games this way? Or did, just, did, did Telltale decide, okay, this was a success with Season 1 of The Walking Dead. We want to make the games kind of just with similar gameplay. Um, you know, was, was this, you know decided by the developers or other people i guess you know it was a it was a lot of everything the the success of the walking dead led to believing that we could use that as a template and get big ips and make more games faster and push them out the door uh which meant that there wasn't really time to iterate on new types of gameplay and new presentations they really wanted to just kind of build them and get them out and and latch on to um you know the popular ips at the time and while they were great ips to work with that that didn't give us a lot of room to really as developers explore um new ways to engage our, our customer base and 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 fans of the game and try to find how we can evolve it we were we were in a tool that was built to make a kind of a very specific type of game, and we had to do those very, very fast. Right. No, I mean, the, the games were still very good. At, um, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and The Walking Dead seasons, you know, one to four. Um, I At least I really enjoyed it. In particular, the writing, I think, and the acting and uh, production design were always high quality. And I, I noticed then with season four of The Walking Dead that there were some changes that, that were made in terms of gameplay. So with the quick time events, which, you know, that you could press, you know, you could hit the knee or the head with Clementine. Right. And then, you know, with the graphics as well, that it looked more like the comic book. You know, some of the scenes, you know, especially the, the long shot scenes, looked absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, I love that style. Yeah, it was just it felt it did look like the comic, kind of like a combination of black and white and color. Uh, am I right in saying that The Walking Dead season four was supposed to be the last game in the Telltale Tool, or did I am I remembering that wrong? 
Um, it was going to be probably one of the last, but it wasn't really decided yet. At, at that time, we had had to shake up an upper management, and we had a, a new CEO, and the, the new CEO uh, had a different approach to the making of the games. He was more hands-off than our previous CEO, so he really wanted to leave what the game could do, how it felt, how it played in the hands of the developers, which is what led to us being able to put a follow cam on Clementine and be able to walk around in a, in a more modern way than previous Telltale games had done, um, which meant it was a trade-off. It means slightly less cinematic presentation, but it, uh, but it allows us to explore different uh, aspects of gameplay. Um, so these kind of things were... were we're kind of finally being allowed to be put in developers and the designers' hands more, which was a, a great relief and a great freedom to us, and it felt really good. Yeah, because season four, it definitely felt like there was more interactivity um, in that game, and it definitely felt different. You know, there were some different things, as I mm-hmm. mentioned. And then, uh, then, as we mentioned, you know, after episode two, Telltale collapse and people were wondering what happened to Clementine and to The Walking Dead, you know, because this was the final season. Yeah. And then Skybound came along and, shall we say, well, saved, well, the season. Yeah. Um, Thank goodness. No, it was really great because I played the game afterwards, but at at the time I was wondering myself, oh, it's it's a real, I mean, first of all, it's a real shame that you guys all lost your jobs through no fault of your own. But secondly, as well, then, if you weren't able to finish telling the story. Uh, what what can you tell us then about those days and weeks then? D- again, can you tell us anything about how Skybound came in and how they helped you guys work to finish the game? Uh, there's not much I can say from a, a, a personal perspective because I, I wasn't ended up being part of the, the team that finished out the game. Uh, I was... Uh, very hands-on. I was the lead designer for the episode three, uh, so that game, that episode was almost finished when the oh. studio shut down. It was. It really just had some more polish to do, but we had spent a lot of time working with the other designers and writers on really kind of figuring out that episode. So I was really excited to have it get out. It was. It had been a while since I was that hands-on with the design of an episode, so I was pretty excited about it. Um, and then they shut down, and then negotiations behind the scenes happened with with the skybound since they were still the owners and they bought back the uh the, the licensing rights for it and uh, they did bring on uh a, a base crew to help finish out the, the season and the last uh, and the last episode uh because my work on episode three had pretty much wrapped up and i wasn't slated to work on episode four i wasn't part of the team that was brought in to help finish out the season which is which was fine, but uh, I'm glad that they did bring in the, the Telltale team and continue to work in the Telltale tool and find a, find a way to make this work so that the story, the final story that people were already so invested in, can finally come to an end and be told in the way that we always wanted to, to tell it. And I'm glad that those people were able to to get that vision out and and tell the story that we wanted to tell. Sure, definitely, and. I suppose again, one of the best things I can say after I played season four, as I mentioned, after all this happened, but I I didn't notice any difference because it would be, shall we say, normal. I know you mentioned episode three was nearly done, 
But then I was thinking before I played episode four, because I knew what had happened, I was thinking, oh, well, I'm expecting maybe a dip in the production values in episode four, which would be completely understandable. Mm. But I didn't notice that. And again, if you didn't know what happened, you know, with behind the scenes, I don't think people would realize. And I think that's a testament, again, to, to the developers and the people making the game and Skybound, that the game still turned out to be really good, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm really despite, happy about that. Because uh, we, we can talk, um, hopefully, about the spoiler special later about Season 4, because I do have questions. Um, but okay. it, uh, I, I, the, the only thing I'll say is that it felt, the, the ending felt, you know, like, not just satisfying, you know, it was satisfying, but kind of felt right, if you know what I mean. And, you know, it, it didn't, I don't know how controversial this might be, it didn't go all Game of Thrones, shall I say. Mm. <laughs> it felt yeah. We were so invested in the characters and in the games that when it, when it finished, I thought, oh, this, wow, they they actually did it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> because I was thinking, oh, there's a chance. How are they going to end this? Is it going to be right? And I thought, yeah, okay, they didn't do a Game of Thrones or anything because it's so difficult, I imagine, to end a game like this. But, right. Um, well, we but, went back and forth on, on a lot of different things. One of the things that I was championing from the beginning of this, knowing this was going to be the close to, to Clementine's story, is it had to be about hope. That's that's what everything was for me. Um, in in this world, with the with as desolate as it is, uh, in in the the Walking Dead world, it, it was also a time where, uh, just in the real world, uh, especially here in America, things just feel kind of hopeless. You know, and there's there's just a lot of bad, and a lot of people are are kind of losing hope. And I wanted I wanted to have a message. I didn't want to end on something that just contributed to people feeling helpless and hopeless. I wanted to contribute to a feeling that there's a way to rise above that, that there is hope. So that was a core essential message for me in season four. However, it ended. It had to end with. A, a note of hope, and I, I hope we were able to achieve that uh, in the ending that we gave. Yeah, I think hope in a Walking Dead kind of way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It wasn't going to be, you know, a, a bright, happily ever after, but it was not, you know, just continued oppression and depression and just that there's no way out of it. You had to have just that glimmer. Yeah, because the comics ended as well, I think, last July. Right. I also think it's similar-ish that, again, ended kind of hope in a Walking Dead kind of way. So I think the games and uh, the comics both uh, had very different endings with different characters, but they had kind of similar kind of endings, which felt right, you know, which is how I felt anyway. Um, and also, before we, we move on to Nick Bounty, again, what I'll say is, since you're here, that I, I feel that the Walking Dead, the games... At least a lot of them felt better than than sort of the TV series, certainly you know from a few seasons. I thought like the comics as well. The writing I find was really good in Telltale: The Walking Games, uh, Walking Dead: The Games. So again, um, again, just kudos on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We, we do um, have the benefit of uh, 
of only doing, you know, five episodes per season where we sure. can really focus in and don't have sure. to stretch it out as much. So that, that really helps us out a lot. That's true as well. I think it's recently from season nine onwards, the Walking Dead TV series has improved as well. Um, I think it's fair to say as well. But um, now we'll go back for the Patreon viewers to see the spoilers on the end. We'll go into more detail for that, but no spoilers here. But now, again, the reason why we eventually got, uh, get to this is that, as we mentioned at the beginning of this uh, episode, that you are now working on Nick Bounty. That's um, right. So... Now, this is what you began working on, because this is a third game in the, in the series, correct? Uh, it is the third game in the series, but you don't have to have played sure. the other game. It's a very standalone story, but it's the third Nick Bounty game that I've, I've created, yes. Sure. Now, you gave us a little bit uh, about the story and about the gameplay, so now let's take a deep dive into it. All this right. game, um, you know, again, without spoilers, because I haven't played it yet. <laughs> um <laughs> So I suppose, first of all, who is Nick Bounty? Uh, what can you tell us about the main character in this game? This this is a character that I created a long time ago when I was still in high school. And I was just kind of, I had just kind of learned about the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca. And I was, I just loved these films. And at the same time, I also loved stupid films like Top Secret and Airplane, the ones that are just full of puns and 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 dumb comedy. And I, I wanted to kind of merge those two together. So my I I with my friends and I we uh, I wrote a script and got a camcorder and we started making Nick Bounty movies. They're terrible. They're high school kids with a camcorder who don't really know how to how to make anything and they edited it with two VCRs <laughs> and it was terrible, but it was it was a lot of fun. And that's where the character began. He was just this kind of goofy, smart-ass detective in this black-and-white world uh, that was also just full of puns and dumb comedy. And years, years later, I had had a script for uh, a third Nick Bounty game, but you know, by that time I'd, I'd moved on, I'd lived in a different state, and all my friends were away, and, uh, and Flash had recently kind of become popular, and I'd decided, you know what, I'm going to try to turn this script into uh, a point-and-click adventure game. That's my third love was was point-and-click adventure games. And kind of delving into Flash, I learned that I could actually make one of these games. And so I decided to do that. And I, I did it in Flash as opposed to, like, AGS or some of the adventure game... Uh, um, software that's out there because I wanted my friends to play this game and my friends are not computer savvy. Uh, so I, I just wanted them to see the Nick Bounty as, as a game by clicking a link I sent them in an email and boom, it's right there in their browser and they can start playing it. And that decision made the game kind of go viral. Uh, at the time, where it started getting picked up by a lot of other game sites, and people were starting to talk about it, and uh, um, it, it, that was really exciting. I had not expected this dumb little game that I had made for just me and my friends to kind of take off to a wider audience. Uh, that was the beginning of, of Nick Bounty's uh, The Adventure Games. Yeah, d definitely. I mean, I played it back when it first <laughs> they were first released. 
And I remember, I mean, still all these years later, I still remember them, that when I saw you working the third game, I instantly remembered what the game was. So, um, there, oh, there is great. Yeah, no, there is one particular line that I remember from one of the first two Nick Bounty games. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what it is, but I think he's talking, he's achieved something, and then he just goes... And I'm on fire. <laughs> and I laughed so hard at that. I thought it was hilarious. But I, I, from what I remember of the character, I liked the character as well because, you know, he's a detective. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't remember everything about, about the game, but I remember that they were funny, first of all. And he's a detective. And I think, again, it, it achieved, again, what you said. I think that it's a comedy adventure game but it looks and feels like the Maltese Falcon Casablanca. So <laughs> it, you know, kind of feels like um, that. So, so you made Nick Bounty, the first game, I believe, the goat and the gray fedora. And then there's Nick Bounty, a case of the crabs that were in flash. It was um, the other way around. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. It's all right. Uh, case of the crabs was first and then goat and the gray fedora. Okay. Yeah, so sorry, just <laughs> moved them around. Um, so then with um, episode three, so you mentioned that this is um, th- this is a standalone game. You don't need to play the first two. I recommend people do play the first two uh, anyway. Um, th- this game as well, and the first two games had voice acting, if I'm correct. They did. That was, and- uh, that was definitely one of the things I wanted to do. At the, at the time I was playing Flash games, and there were people who were making some adventure games, but a lot, a lot of... The Flash games that we're seeing were very, you know, very minimalistic and very just had text on screen. And I really wanted to bring something new to Flash games. I wanted to make it as, as cinematic as I possibly could. Uh, so I really wanted to have voice acting as a big part of that. Yeah, and the voice acting was very good. And again, I say that because this was a free game made by Flash, so you made made on you know in Flash, so you mightn't expect um, you know to be so good. But the voice acting was really good that the actor nailed all his lines and yeah he, he was my friend from high school as well jason ellis and he had appeared in a couple of the nick bounty movies that we made back in high school so i you know working with him again was was just a lot of fun and he brought a whole lot of personality to the character uh so i was happy to have him on board for those first couple of games and yeah. the new one so he's back in the third one is he He's definitely back in the third one, and it's so much more dialogue than the first two ever were. I'm sure he's delighted. <laughs> uh, so, so this game, the third Nick Bounty game, or Nick Bounty and uh, blue, well, the the shoe, the blue shoe, <laughs> blue chewed shoe, blue chewed shoe. That's it. Uh, I, I take it this is longer than the first two Nick Bounty games. It's a bit longer. It's it's still not a long game. Uh, it'll take probably only uh, a few hours to get through. It's about the length of a Telltale episode. So they're longer okay. than the original Nick Bounty games, but they're not as as long as some of the uh, the really long adventure games that are that are out now. And part of that is is bringing what I had learned from Telltale and kind of streamlining the puzzles so much so there's not a bunch of obtuse puzzles that don't really fit and are just kind of dragging out the gameplay for the sake of dragging out the gameplay i am less interested in that and more interested in 
really honing the experience that you get at playing as Nick Bounty, um, uh, being able to role play as the character, um, just kind of being able to get through it uh, uh, at a good pace and feel feel good about uh, the story that is is being delivered to you. Sure. And what can you tell us about the gameplay then? So you mentioned there's no real obtuse puzzles, uh, but and it's an investigative game. So what what kind of shall we say gameplay is is in the game, or, or puzzles, or or gameplay style? Then can we there, expect? There are some puzzles. There are definitely some uh, you know environmental type puzzles where. You know, you need to find um, the right inventory objects to be able to a- access um, areas of, of a scene where you can uncover evidence. A, a lot of it is exploration of scenes. I, I took sort of a, the the way you navigate in the Walking Dead game, where you're moving your character around and exploring the environments, and I've mixed that with what I learned from working on the CSI games way back in the day. So there's a lot of exploring the crime scenes and uh, exploring the related scenes, looking for clues, looking for evidence and collecting that evidence and then taking that evidence to your crime computer to to analyze that evidence, which unlocks uh, new areas to explore, new suspects to interrogate and so forth. Okay, so it feels like the the gameplay and the story then, you know, kind of integrate then that there's, there's no... All of a sudden, no. Here's a slider puzzle for no reason. <laughs> no, it's definitely, it's definitely not that. It's, it's, it's basically taking Sam and Max and CSI, those two games, and mushing them together and putting them in black and white. <laughs> oh, that that sounds cool, actually. Because <laughs> no, because I, I always kind of laugh with some detective games when it's obvious when developers just add in puzzles for the sake of adding in puzzles when they just add in this yeah. slider puzzle. And I'm like, which detective would have the time to do that? <laughs> I mean, I suppose if it's a comedy game, maybe you might get away with more, you know, mention obtruse or crazy kind of puzzles like in Monkey Island or whatever. But um, <laughs> but then in, in reality, you know, to you know, I think it's good to hear that they're more investigative puzzles. <laughs> that, yeah. That they're they're not. And again, I don't have necessarily a problem with you know, certain types of, you know, logic puzzles. But, you know, what I look for is, do they make sense? Yeah. So, oh, and, that is such the hardest part, too, is mm. you've got these interesting puzzles that you, you want to put in, but how do they actually relate to what's going on? Do they relate to the story? Do they match the uh, the, the emotionality of the scene? Do, <laughs> are, are, you know, your, is your headspace in the same place as the character's headspace? Trying to make all those things mesh is extremely difficult, which is why I try to distill it down to what what works, what is a natural obstacle in the scene, and what is a what is a solution that makes sense but is still clever enough to make you go, "Aha, I got it!" Right? Yeah, because that's that's why I I don't think I would be a good game developer because while I have ideas for stories. Then I think, oh, but I have to come up with puzzles. Oh, man. <laughs> how how can I come up with a puzzle here? I just want to tell a story. But um, but yeah, and then I see as well that this game is fully 3D. Is yeah. so this is first the first two games were in Flash, and now this game is in 3D. Now you you worked on 3D with the Telltale tool with, the, but this game is made in Unity, correct? Correct. 
Is this the first time that you used Unity? Uh, it's the first time I've used Unity to make a 3D game. Uh, so my previous two games from from Pinhead Games, um, Forever Space and The Adventures of Nick and Willikins, which is not Nick Bounty, it's a different Nick, those are both developed in, in Unity as well as uh, 2D adventure games. Okay, so using Unity, but just the first three. And what? how was it then making this fully 3D game using Unity from the ground up? Was it... Was it challenging, or did you find it useful that since you had made these 2D games in Unity before, did that help at all, or was this completely different? Uh, it definitely helped. Part of the reason I made those 2D games in Unity was in preparation of moving to a 3D environment and, and uh, making a full game in 3D, kind of using what I learned from working in the Telltale tool, which was fully 3D, and just kind of getting to grips with how to use Unity and uh, Adventure Creator, which is the plugin I've used to make these games with. Um, so they were they were all kind of preparation for this, but it was still challenging. There's definitely challenges in in first time using 3D, getting it set up, just understanding how everything works. Uh, it's challenging. It's been a lot of work, and I've been developing this game primarily as a as a solo developer. Uh, so I've done most of the work. You know, the environment work is either I've either outsourced that or have just purchased assets and kind of rebuilt them to be customized sets for this game. Um, but it's you know the programming of it, uh, the the design, the implementation, that's all been just me for the most part. So it's been it's a lot of work and it's a lot, very challenging, but it's it's very fulfilling as well. I, I can imagine. So this is definitely a one-person one game. <laughs> For the most part. And, you know, I got to say, the uh, the closing of Telltale was kind of a mixed blessing. I, I started this game just before Telltale closed because I I, I, want, I needed a new creative outlet. I, I, was, um, I was feeling I needed to really get hands-on again and kind of build things myself, and I wanted to do this. And I had planned for this just to be something I worked on on the side, uh, until however long it was going to take me to make it. It was just, just a side project. But then Telltale shut down. And while that was devastating, it also allowed me to really just spend all my time <laughs> focused on this. Uh, so I, that's what I've been doing pretty much since Telltale closed, is just working every day, almost full time, working on making this game as, as polished as I can, as enjoyable as I can, you know, as, as fun as it can be uh, within my limitations, and hopefully that everybody will appreciate that and can enjoy the game uh, in as much work as I put into it over the over the last uh, what, year and a half. Well, if, it, if it's anything like the first two Nick Bounty games, I'm sure people will like <laughs> it. <laughs> and, no, as, as you mentioned, it's obviously was, you know, to, Hor horrible we can say what happened with Telltale with all the employees but then in your case at least you seem to come out the other side relatively well you're working on this game um, and th then you've also worked on you know comedic games like you know Monkey Island Simon Max as well mm -hmm. and then very serious games like The Walking Dead right um, and now back to comedic game Nick Bounty is it a challenge going from one to the other as a Writer, you know, do you have to shall I say, change a chip in your head to go serious, no comedy, serious comedy, or do they just come naturally? Like, oh yeah, just you know, put in these jokes here, then as well. 
Oh, it's it's definitely hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know which one is harder. They're they're different mindsets. Um and I think doing any of it for me requires uh working with other people, you know, working with with Sean and Jake and people who really know the craft of how to how to write for for Walking Dead and kind of helping them put me in the right headset. Uh, and then same with the comedy. I've been working with um, both Jason Ellis and a guy named uh, Ron Algar Watt, who has a sarcastic voyage podcast that is all it's it's a humor podcast. And they're they're both very talented writers, and they both help me get into the right mindset. Um, but it I it is kind of like a switch, you know. It's I can't just jump from serious to comedy to serious to comedy, which I, I think. In in The Walking Dead, you'd mentioned there was like some moments of comedy in with the with the Grim. Those were usually somebody else putting in the comedy. Oh, okay. Wasn't and, you then? Sometimes it was, but often it was it was somebody coming in and, and kind of lightening up the scene. And I'm saying, "What are you doing? The scene is supposed to be tense." And they're like, "Well, it it, it needs some dynamics." And they were absolutely right. But I in the my in the time of my writing it, I was just so in this intense moment that it was hard for me to be able to insert comedy to to balance that out in the right way so getting people to help out is a big part of what makes it make it good right yeah no i mean some you know in the walking dead while it's by no means a comedy i don't think anybody will ever <laughs> <laughs> mistake it for a comedy there are some moments of levity you know throughout the whole all the seasons yeah with, um, you know season four as well with the interaction with uh, AJ and Clementine in particular. <laughs> yeah. And even some like dark humor, like AJ asking, why is it bad to kill these people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, um, no, because I'm just thinking as well, if you're writing from so serious and so kind of like graphic as well, horror from The Walking Dead, and then to something like Nick Bounty as well, that I don't know, because comedy as well, it could both challenging, as you mentioned, but comedy is so subjective worldwide yeah. as well, different. <laughs> You know, different humor. Like there's so-called British humor, Irish humor, American humor, and then around the world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and then with with Nick Bounty, you you know we've spoken about the the voice acting as well. Did you do the music for this game as well, or did did somebody else get? It? Because I think is there is it jazz music that's in this game that was in Nick Bounty one and two. Uh, in Nick, let's see. I don't remember the, the music in Nick Bounty 1 and 2. Uh, some of the music was created <laughs> by... Some of that music was created by me. Some of it was purchased. Some of it was created by other folks who I had hooked up with uh, who wanted to make some music. The music in the Nick Bounty... Uh, the Dame with the Blue Chewed Shoe, the newest version, is all done by Jared Emerson Johnson, who did all the scores for the Telltale games. Oh, that's... That's good, actually. That's really, yeah. really good. <laughs> he's really good. He's really good, and he's he's doing all the music for this last Nick Bounty game, which is great. Good job. I mean, <laughs> that that's one of the, the wonderful things about you know my my experience with with Telltale and being able to bring those connections and those friends that I've made uh, in working in those games to help me out with this latest Nick Bounty game, like like Jared doing the music and the music has been fantastic and then the the voice cast is i'm i'm just honored for the people who are working on this game with me we've got um 
uh, Dave Finoy, who played Lee Everett, is uh, oh. Zach the Psychic. I've got Melissa Hutchinson, who, of course, was um, uh, Clementine. She's a, she's a voice in the game. I've got Sissy Jones, who was also in The Walking Dead and, and uh, many, many other games. This, there's just a phenomenal cast of people that I worked with, these award-winning voice actors who, who I've made personal connections with, who who because of our connections have, have kind of come and helped me bring these characters to life. And they're so awesome. And I could not have done this without them. So I've got to give a big shout out to all of the voice actors who really bring these characters to life. And there's, they're so good and they're so passionate. And I, I, you know, I, from the bottom of my heart, I couldn't have made the game without them. Yeah. That's great because that's like a who's who of voice actors. <laughs> you know, they're crazy. As well as like being in Telltale games, they've mentioned your award-winning actors in other games as well, Sissy Jones and Melissa Hutchison and and uh, Dave Enoy, who was you know Lee. And yeah. wow, okay, I mean now I'm definitely very very intrigued. <laughs> that, I mean as as I said, you know my interest is peaking. It's uh, you've got uh, yeah. Adam Harrington, who was Bigby Wolf. He's a he's one of your sidekicks in, in there as well. It's uh. Yeah, it is a virtual who's who of voice actors in here. Sure. So I, th- I think the easier question might be who's not a voice actor <laughs> in the game. <laughs> wow, that's wow, that's really great because Telltale had some great, great voice actors. I think in every yes. game. Yeah, um, I'm not a voice actor in the game. That's who's not in the game as a voice actor. Me, but I am but not in that caliber. You just did everything else. <laughs> no, because J- Jared, I believe, is he a voice actor as well? At least in some Telltale games. Yes, he does do some voice acting. Oh, well, wow, so he's again multi-talented. <laughs> yeah, he's a very talented guy. Well, and you know well, what? I lied. I I do have a voice acting part in this game. <laughs> as, as well, of course you did. You developed a game. You do just about everything. So of course you did a voice acting role. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, well I, I think that's all the questions I have for, for this. Um, I'm definitely really, really interested. Uh, do you, can you tell us more or less when this game is scheduled to be released? I'm shooting for April 1st. We've got, I've got to make sure everything comes together just right. I'm not guaranteed that that's right yet, but it will uh, be out in April. So that's not an April Fool's joke, is it? And it's not an April Fool's joke. In fact... <laughs> The, the last Nick Bounty game was released on April 1st. The, the Goat in the Grey Fedora was oh. the April 1st release. Way back, what, 15 or so years ago? I forget how many years it's been now. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> that it's so long, because I just remember it like it was yesterday. It's so exciting to be bringing it back. You know, it's always been the thing I was most proud of creating, and so to be able to bring it back and really kind of bring it to a new era and bring it to a new audience. It's so exciting and so terrifying to me right now. I'm just hoping that people, you know, embrace it and like it. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm kind of, I mean, I haven't played it yet, but I'm, I'm quite <laughs> confident from everything you've told me and from your previous experience, you know, you've made some decent games in the past. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, no, more than decent <laughs> um, yeah, well, is uh, well. I suppose then before we get to the the spoiler for the Patreon subscribers, um, where can people find out more about your games? Do you have a website? Uh, yeah, you can go to um, pinheadgames.com 
uh, to see all the past Pinhead games and to kind of read the, our, our our developer blog and check in on the development of Nick Bounty 3. Um, you can also visit our Steam page. Uh, just look for Nick Bounty on Steam. Yeah, I'll include links to both those websites on the Steam page and pinheadgames.com because you mentioned, didn't have time to talk about, but you had, you've worked on several other games, including Forever Space and Brain Hotel, right. which looks really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking forward to you know, trying them out now as well. And uh, then Telltale, you know, nearly just about whatever Telltale made you were a part of, uh, it seems. So thank you very much. Then, Mark, uh, so I'll just let you take us out. Is there anything at all that you would like to say to people listening? Oh, I just uh, I just thank you very much for having me on, on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I, and I hope this uh, talk has been helpful and entertaining to the people who are listening, and uh, hopefully you'll like the, the new game when it comes out next month. Yeah, well, I've enjoyed our talk, and I've enjoyed all your previous games, so I'm sure I'll enjoy this next one, I'm sure people will as well. So, um, no, the very best of luck with it. I'm really looking forward to it. So, thank you very much, Mark. Oh, thank you very much. So, that was my interview with Mark Darren. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And thank you once again to Mark for joining me. I had a really great time chatting with him. And I hope to speak to him soon again. And now, also for Patreon subscribers, there is a spoiler special where Mark spoke in great detail about The Walking Dead, about the ending of The Walking Dead, the final season, where he gave details about other in endings that they had uh, thought of before they chose this one, and what they were hoping for, what their objectives were. And as I spoke about spoilers for The Walking Dead series as a whole, while they brought back some characters, why they killed other characters, not going to give any spoilers here, of course, but if you want to hear a spoiler discussion on the Walking Dead series, you can go to patreon.com forward slash adventure games podcast, and this is for the $5 per month here, and you can hear that section of the interview there. You can also get his new game, Nick Bounty, and the Dame to Blue Chew Chew on Steam. And for PC, and I will be reviewing that game on next week's episode of the podcast. I will also be joined, as always, by Thomas and Laura, as we were discussing the latest adventure game news, and they will be reviewing the latest adventure games that they have been playing as well. So, until then, take care, everyone, and have a good weekend and a good week. Goodbye. If you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for Adventure Game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at AdventGamePod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or a Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to 
retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it. And you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com. So until next time, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.